This is your brain. This is your brain while listening to Rad Scientist. <laughs> Tune in to the podcast about the scientists of San Diego. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. He said, Jane, you have to read this little article. And he had literally, like, ripped it out of the paper. And I looked at it, and it said that seven women had gotten ordained Roman Catholic priests on the Danube River. And I was, like, amazed and exhilarated and excited. I just could not believe that this had happened. Welcome to My First Day. I'm Andrew Bracken. For this season of My First Day, we're looking at life-changing events, key moments in time that help shape us into who we ultimately become. Faith is a funny thing, and where it comes from is often something of a mystery. Some of us find it in our lives, many others never do. For Jane Via, faith has been a central part of her life from her earliest years. Discovering a connection to Catholicism during her youth has helped guide her both intellectual and spiritual curiosity throughout her life. It has also brought activism, even conflict, with the faith she loves. Here's Jane Via with her story of... My first day. My parents were Presbyterians, so from the time I was really small, like three, I was taken to church. I remember being really small and asking my parents questions about God. I don't really know where that came from, except that it was rooted in deep experience. I mean, I experienced, even as a really small child, the sacred. I don't know how. It was just there. I'm going to say I was somewhere between five and eight when I first spent the night on a Saturday night in the home of a Catholic neighbor. And because they couldn't go to my church, either I went home or I went to church with them. And I don't know if I'm actually remembering the first time or not, but I embraced the silence. There's a lot of silence in Catholic worship. And I think there's a quality of beauty about Catholic worship that doesn't necessarily exist in Protestant worship. I'm reflecting on this, of course, as an adult, not from a child's point of view. As a child, I just knew I felt at home. This is where I felt like I belonged. I fit here. When I was 11, it was time to be confirmed in the Presbyterian Church. And I told my parents that I did not want to be confirmed in the Presbyterian Church because I wanted to be Catholic. And that was a disastrous revelation. <laughs> they basically told me, particularly my mom, basically, if you love us, you won't do this to us. So I just quit talking about it. Like a lot of teenagers, getting her driver's license opened up a whole new world for Jane. Though how she rebelled against her parents is probably a little different from most kids. So I was in the choir from the time I was in kindergarten all the way through high school. 
And then when I began to drive, that was my spiritual liberation because <laughs> I would have to go to a particular service to be in the choir. So maybe it was the 9.30 service, and my dad was going to go to the 11 o'clock service. And so I would drive, and then after I did the Presbyterian service, I would get in my car and drive to a Catholic church. But I had to go to a Catholic church outside of my suburb because both of my parents were teachers, and they were well-known in the community. So... I would drive out of our suburb to a different suburb where no one would know me, and I would go to Mass. And then I would buy a cup of coffee, and I would tell my mom, um, I'm going for coffee. <laughs> and so I did that for years. So then when I went away to college, I was free. I could worship where I wanted to worship. So the very first place I went on campus after I arrived was the Catholic Church. I'll never forget opening the door to that church because it was, for me, breathtakingly austere but beautiful. And did you tell your parents about this during this time? No. <laughs> I waited until I graduated from college, and I was clearly then 21. And so I just wrote to them and said, when you come for graduation, I will be a Catholic. During her college days, Jane visited a nunnery, and quickly realized that life was just not for her and wouldn't satisfy her intellectual or religious hunger. Because of this, after graduating college, she was left with limited options. What do you do if you're a Catholic woman and you have a passion for God, but you can't go to seminary? You study. If I had been able to go to seminary, I'm sure I would have. If I had been able to become a pastor, I think I would have. But at the time, I, I made a very conscious decision to become Catholic knowing that ordination was not an option for me. So I accepted that, and that closed almost every door. Jane ended up getting her Ph.D. in theology from Marquette University and then began teaching, first in Detroit, and later moving to California to teach at the University of San Diego. After running into conflicts with the Catholic leadership there, she left teaching for the most part and became a lawyer, in addition to getting married and having kids. Then one morning, her husband saw something in the newspaper. My husband saw a little tiny two-paragraph article in the San Diego Union. So he said, Jane, you have to read this little article. And he had literally, like, ripped it out of the paper and I looked at it, and it said that seven women had gotten ordained Roman Catholic priests on the Danube River. And I was, like, amazed and exhilarated and excited. I just could not believe that this had happened. Then, meanwhile, uh, I had this card in my drawer 
And the card said, what can I do to change the church? They gave it to us and they said, put this in a drawer and every time you open that drawer, take it out and read it and see what your answer is. I never knew what else I could do. I had taught theology for years. I had always stayed an active Catholic. And so I would always just put the card back in my drawer. And then the first time I saw that card, after I had seen that article in the newspaper, I went, oh my gosh, I think I know what I can do <laughs> to try to change the church. I could do this. I could, I could become a priest. I have a PhD in theology. I know my theology. I'm well-educated. I've taught for years. I'm a good teacher. I know how to make a case defend a case, present a case from being a lawyer. I have the passion for this. I could do this. I could get ordained a Roman Catholic woman priest. Before long, Jane was invited to be ordained in this new movement as a deacon, sort of the first step in becoming a priest. With her son attending a Catholic high school, she decided to keep her controversial ordination a secret, using a pseudonym to avoid attention. Jane, along with her husband Phil, traveled to Passau, Germany for the ordination. It's a small city, I guess you would say, and it is right on the Danube River. Uh, we were there because the Germans and Austrians who were involved in that initial movement of the, what became Roman Catholic women priests wanted to, the ordinations to happen on a boat, on a ship, in international waters, so that no individual Roman Catholic bishop would get in trouble with the Vatican for theoretically having permitted an ordination of women to occur in his diocese. So they selected Passau. We just showed up. We went the day before, and we all stayed in this very, very inexpensive hotel. And then the next day was the ordination, and it was the Feast of Peter and Paul on June 24th. And the canonical church in Passau was ordaining male priests. And the bells were ringing, um, as they can only in European cities, you know. And um, we were walking down the quay to get on the boat. And I remember one of the leaders saying, we are ordaining more women than they are ordaining men today. And so then we got on the boat and did the whole ceremony on the boat. The gospel that they chose was the gospel about the storm on the lake and the boat being out on the Sea of Galilee and the storm coming up and the disciples trying to wake Jesus up and say, do something. <laughs> um, and here we were on a boat, on a river. So she preached and she talked about the boat as a symbol of the church and that from earliest times, the waters have been rough in the life of the church. And sometimes people in the church feel like 
the boat's going to capsize and the people in the boat are going to go under. Um, she talked about contemporary scholarship, that many uh, biblical scholars think that this story was really a resurrection story. Came from, it's put into the life of the historical Jesus, but that originally it, it was a resurrection narrative because Jesus was asleep and then he woke up and he calmed the storm and what a huge storm his death was in the life of his original followers. So she had talked about all those things in the homily and then we got to the ordination rite itself. And so when it got to the point of laying on of hands, all six of us women had come forward, but what mattered was that as we began the ordination rite, the boat went into a lock. It stopped. It was stuck. It couldn't go. And so the ordination rite happened in the lock on the river. And then at the end of the ordination rite for the laying on of hands, the six women are kneeling there, and everybody on the boat got a chance to lay on hands. The tradition of the laying on of hands goes all the way back to the New Testament. People approach the person who is kneeling or sitting, and just gently lay their hands on either side of the person's head whom they are ordaining. It's done in complete silence. Well, I think in the language of the traditional church, they believe that when you, the hands are placed, a bishop has the authority to call down the spirit onto a particular person and empower them for this role. For me, unexpectedly, tears just flowed. I didn't anticipate that. Tears just suddenly emerge and pour out of me. And so you're f just feeling people come and put their hands on your head, affirming that they call you to this role and all the responsibility that goes with it. And then at the end, after everyone had laid on hands and they gave us our stoles and put them on us so that we were now deacons, the lock opened up <laughs> and the boat moved forward. It's just like a metaphor for what was happening in the church. Nobody could have planned that. It just happened. But it was, as you can see, a very powerful experience for me. It, it was a religious experience for me, and it was a very powerful one. So for me, once I got back, nothing happened because I kept my word to my son. I didn't tell anybody. And was that a challenge? To, I mean, you have this like big experience and then you come back. 
Well, I had a lot of kind of uh, hidden joy in my heart, you know, uh, warmth, excitement, enthusiasm. But yeah, I didn't, I could only really share it with my kids and my husband. I didn't know what to expect. I think probably mostly I was just anxious, you know, because it was a big step. And I knew there would be consequences. <laughs> I knew that I was taking a step, a further step away from the canonical church, and that me being me, I could never go back. Confirming her fears, Jane was eventually excommunicated through a decree from the Vatican. Despite this, though, she remains committed both to her faith and her activism around it. It was painful. It was hurtful. Um, I think the part that bothered me the most was that as an excommunicated person, I can't be buried in a Catholic cemetery. That's kind of a big deal to me as a Catholic. You know, I would want to be in a, in a consecrated Catholic cemetery. I would want my remains to be there if I could be, and I can't be. That is a, a very long-term consequence. <laughs> There's no way out of that one. And if I go to a wedding, I can't receive communion because I'm, I'm barred from receiving the sacraments of the church. It's not a major problem for me because in my own parish, obviously, we, we have the sacraments, and I do receive and I do believe that what we do is sacramentally valid because the only thing that stands between its validity and invalidity is my gender as a woman. I don't accept that. And if everyone like me, it's so clear to me, Andrew, if everyone like me leaves the Catholic Church, it'll never change. Thanks for listening. You can hear more from Jane on our Instagram and Facebook, at My First Day Stories. Jane Vi is now a bishop in the Roman Catholic Women Priest Movement. You can find more about her by visiting her parish's website, mmacc.org. Our email is myfirstdaystories at gmail.com. My First Day is produced by me, Andrew Bracken, with additional help from Melissa Diaz. Music by Chris Curtis. I also wanted to send some belated thank yous from last season. Thank you to Stephen Chin, UPAC, David Williams, and Ginny Shim. Support for this program comes from the KPBS Explore Local Content Fund, supporting new ideas and programs for San Diego. For KPBS, Melanie Drogseth is Programming Coordinator, Nate John is Innovation Specialist, Jill Linder's Programming Manager, Lisa Jane Morissette is Operations Manager, John Decker's Director of Programming. Thanks again. See you next time.